welcome back to The Courageous Mama. I said goodbye to you just before the summer thinking I had a couple more episodes in me and then we fostered three children and on top of the comings and goings of our own five I had to step back a bit and what I wasn't anticipating was going under the knife in September so that set me back a bit but I'm convalescing and I'm keen to be back among you all. I love it and I love our communications. So here I am again and I'm sure some of you have waved school children off into a new school year, some of them to a new school completely. I guess some of you will have waved them off into life itself, university, apprenticeship, job, whatever is next in their adventures. And it's exciting, but it's difficult too, isn't it? So we just waved off number four. And although, as I say, they come and go, there's that moment of departure that is very, very definite. I remember when our eldest, now 29, went to university and our youngest was four. And our four-year-old looked at me with his big brown eyes and he said, are they all going to go off to the university? And he had this penny-dropping moment of realising that this beautiful bubble that he belongs to is one by one going to be waved off in different directions, or in his head, all in the same direction. And of course, it's borne out to be true. So here we are waving off number four into his new life. it will be the end of their cheeky videos so I'm going to let you into a secret. My children have an app called The Courageous Kids. I think it started off as a closed Instagram account. I think it's now potentially a Snapchat account and they make short videos and usually I feature but I'm not me. They're dressed up as me so they might have a scarf on and uh, they'll be me. And very occasionally they show me and so <laughs> showed me recently um, a video set in the kitchen and Charlie had the scarf on that's supposed to be me and the kitchen was a bomb size and it often is because I love cooking so I cook from scratch and every pot and every pan will be used and every potato peeler and every grater and at the end of meal times the children are quite used to having to get up and clear what looks like about you know 45 years worth of cooking but actually it's probably just produced the evening meal so they produced this video and there's me in my scarf apparently in fact it's Charlie showing Johnny a baked potato that's come out of the microwave and saying I've baked this potato would you help me clean the kitchen and then this is sort of pan out to this total mayhem of the kitchen so many many videos online of supposedly me and some very good ones of our entire family actually when they've dressed up as every single character and various ones have played each other. But I digress, what are we talking about today? The Enneagram 5. So we've done eight, we've done nine, we've done one, two, three, and four. And today we're going to do five. I know some of you have been tracking because you've been popping up with questions, which is great, it's really stimulated you. If you haven't, you may well be asking, what's the Enneagram? Well, it's a super tool that helps people to understand who they are and what makes them tick. It also helps people to understand how other people experience them and how to develop their superpowers. It's all about self-awareness. And just to load in some intel, there was a survey done by, I think it was Harvard University. They looked at a number of big successful businesses and they homed in on the MD and tried to find what's the similarity between all of the heads of these successful companies. And what do you think they found? Have a little think for a second. What do you think 
the chief similarity was. So I'd have looked at a value potentially or a characteristic. You may have thought of extrovertism or some leadership skills. But actually, the thing that they all had in common was self-awareness. Isn't that fascinating? So we're looking at it from a personal perspective so that you can understand yourself better. And then you can take that and you can look at your family and your friends and understand them better. And of course, we're looking at it from a parenting perspective so that you can better understand your children. And two children can be exhibiting exactly the same behaviour, but they might have totally different motivations. So understanding their motivations is the key to understanding them, their needs, what makes them tick. And you'll learn how to help them to help themselves to grow with emotional health. So today it's all about how to parent the Enneagram 5, otherwise known as the investigator. But before we do, I thought it'd be helpful to do a quick recap so that if you are new, you'll find this helpful. And if you aren't new, you'll still find it helpful because it'll stimulate your memory for all of the different types that we've already gone through. So I'm going to put a scenario in place and I'm going to show you what all the different types on the Enneagram would do in response to the scenario. And as I do that, why not see if you can put the name of a friend or a partner or a child or a relative or someone maybe you work with, with each different type. Don't overwork it, they'll come to mind. And don't forget, it doesn't mean it's for us to go around labeling and say, oh, there are five, there are four, but understanding leads to compassion and it leads to better relationships. So it's a tool that can easily move you from finding someone a bit annoying or a lot annoying to understanding them in a whole new way. So my recap is going to be a little journey. I'm going to take you on a short walk with nine people from the Enneagram. Here goes. Imagine for a minute you've gathered a group of nine friends, each representing a different Enneagram type, and you've decided to go on a hike together in a beautiful forest. As you venture deeper into the woods, you suddenly encounter a dense fog that envelops the entire area. Visibility is reduced to just a few feet and the path becomes difficult to navigate. The group is faced with uncertainty and the challenge of finding their way. Here's how each Enneagram type might respond to this scenario. The type one, the perfectionist, might show their ability to take charge and map out a plan to stay on track, ensure everybody follows the proper trail or follows a good trail or a good idea. Type two, very different. This is the helper. They will be quick to offer support to anyone feeling anxious or unsure. They'll be checking on everyone's well-being and making sure nobody gets left behind or feels left out. Type three, the achiever. What would they do? Well, they might see this as an opportunity to demonstrate their leadership skills. They would motivate the group, encouraging them to, to push through the challenge and reach the end point with success. They'll show their ability to persevere and be a role model for having energy and having been resourceful. They might also like to be near the front. And certainly when all is said and done, they would quite like people to point to them and go, we couldn't have done it without them. Of course, they won't say that out loud, but they might secretly hope it. 
So what would the type four do? The individualist. Well, they might find the fog symbolic, seeing it as a reflection of their own internal struggles. They would express their emotions and possibly contemplate the deeper meaning of the situation, what it touches on, what it presses on, how it makes them feel. Or maybe in the middle of it all, they'll find inspiration in the mysterious ambiance. It might help them to go and create in whatever ways they create and it will inspire them in the long run. But in the moment, they'll be looking at how it's making them feel. The type five, the investigator, what would they do? Well, they're great observers. They would probably be looking, observing, looking out for patterns, trying to gather information so they could make informed decisions. They're analysing. They might suggest using a compass or other tools that would help to navigate the fog. And if the group gets a little agitated under the stress, they would withdraw a little. You'd see them going into the background and working out how they can personally endure the challenge and actually the potential drama. The type six, the loyalist. Well, they would feel a sense of unease, caution in the face of uncertainty. They would seek reassurance from the group and suggest that they all stick together and follow safety precautions to avoid getting lost. They'll see all the potential catastrophes that could come about from it and will want to avoid any worse dangers. The type seven, the enthusiast. Well, they probably view the fog as an exciting adventure. They'd be the first to suggest playing a game or finding creative ways to enjoy the hike and finding fun ways to endure it despite the reduced visibility. They would be the one keeping the group's spirits high. The type A, the challenger, they'd see this as an opportunity to take charge and demonstrate their strength. We'll get through this. We will be fine. They might lead the group confidently. They might have ideas or suggestions to get everyone through safely. They might possibly state these as correct decisions rather than suggestions. And they'd be happy to get a little bit scratched as they pave a way forward through the brambles to ensure that others stay safe. The type nine, the peacemaker. They would prioritise maintaining harmony within the group. They'd be a calming influence and they'd probably help to diffuse any tensions and try and ensure that everyone's opinions are heard and considered in the decision-making process. So there you have it, a little um, situational roundup of each Enneagram type, bringing their unique perspective and response to the scenario. But it demonstrates, doesn't it, that you can all be in exactly the same scenario. If it's not in a dense forest, it might be in the kitchen, it might be at work, and everyone brings a totally different lens. So having done that quick overview, did you find yourself in there? Were you in one type? Were you maybe in more than one type? Did you find your boss, your colleague, your mum, your child, your dad, your brother, your partner? So with all that in mind, let's move on to the investigator, the type five. So this character is introspective and analytical. They derive their sense of peace from knowledge, more knowledge, their understanding of things, the world around them. Um, they're very high, they can be very gend up on specific topics, general knowledge even. They're often seen as independent and slightly detached at times, delving into their own thoughts and ideas. 
Two key and notable characteristics about the five are that they are driven by a need to get knowledge and that they work hard to conserve their inner resources. They're boundaried because they fear that they're going to run out of something. It could be time, it could be energy, it could be the capacity to listen, it could be money, it could be all sorts of things, but they try and keep so that they're not going to run their tank out, whatever that tank is. So using that tank as an analogy, in the way that you might wonder if you're going to make it to a petrol station in time if your tank is running low, the type five fears in life running out of social battery or of mental battery, capacity, the ability to engage, to be productive, to show up. And that will determine their choices. That will motivate them or demotivate them. So the fives have some fabulous strengths. Firstly, their intellectual capacity and their ability to think deeply and think critically are admirable. They're excellent researchers and often very good problem solvers. They're naturally curious and they probably thirst for knowledge and they can see connections and patterns that other people might miss. Side note, they're usually fabulous in a pub quiz, although sometimes if their knowledge is specialist, then they're just fabulous in certain rounds. On the challenging side, the type five can become too focused on accumulating knowledge and can struggle with taking action or engaging with the outside world. They might isolate themselves and withdraw when they're overwhelmed. As a parent, it can be quite challenging to encourage them to balance that intellectual or mental pursuit with practical application or social interaction. Do you have a child who accrues knowledge like other kids accrue Pokemon cards and who can eschew the world and friends and family to be alone? The Enneagram type 5s are often seen as the thinkers or the observers of the world. They find their thoughts more dependable than their feelings and that's important to know. They might be known for their intellectual prowess and their deep interest and understanding about complex subjects but remember they're being driven by the need to know and the ability to depend on their thoughts. We have a type five among our children and when there's merry mayhem going on around the table, he won't be fighting to be heard. He'll be quietly observing and taking it all in and actually just flashing back to the video that they did of everybody around the table. They had him just sitting there looking and watching and then somebody eventually turning to him and saying, well, what do you think about all of this? And that was classic. So they'd all observed him being like that. We'd never sat down and gone, he's an observer, but everybody knew he was. And that's the important thing about being self-aware. You can be 100% sure that everybody around you has noticed how you behave, good, bad, or indifferent. It might be that you're the last of the party when it comes to knowing about yourself. So back to the type five, here are some words that you may use to describe the investigator introspective, analytical, curious, independent, thoughtful, reserved at times, could be an extrovert but still reserved, cerebral, detached, perceptive, objective, focused, reclusive in the extreme. And they won't embody all of those characteristics. In fact, as you listen to that list, you might think, oh, well, that definitely isn't my child. They're not reclusive or they've got loads of friends. 
But if a high percentage aligns with the person you have in mind, it might be worth continuing to explore whether they're a type five. And if they are, we need this type of person. If your child's got these characteristics, they have the potential to make significant contributions to society, to their family, to whatever little societies they belong to, school, clubs. And here are a few who have done so in the broader sense. Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, broadly thought of to be fives by Enneagram experts, Agatha Christie, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Stephen Hawking, Nikola Tesla, Frido Kahler, Jane Austen, massive observer. I don't know if you've read any of her books. Um, you might not catch this from the movies, but her observation of people and the things that they think and say is astute and very funny. So these individuals exemplify the intellectual prowess and the deep thinking that characterizes the type five. And they've made significant contributions in their respective fields. There are a greater number of men in general who identify with being type fives than women. And their strengths need to be nurtured and supported in the right way or they will unbalance towards inwardness. So type fives excel in intellectual pursuits, research and analysis, creative problem solving, innovation, mental focus, insightful ideas but they can also be overly reserved and withdrawn. And when they're deeply involved in observing the interactions around them, they may feel that they're contributing. But others, such as around our dinner table, might be experiencing them as aloof or possibly even judgmental. And I'm not levelling that at my child, but I'm just saying if somebody watches and don't, doesn't say anything, others can perceive it like that in a business meeting or in a family setting. So their strengths need to be nurtured and supported in the right way, or they may unbalance, as I say, towards inwardness. I think of the type fives when they are going inward as protecting their batteries. They've got one for work, one for social, one for sport, and so on. And when they feel that more is going to be required of them than they've got battery power for, then they become worried and they withdraw. And they might not actively know that they're responding to their concern, but habitually they will go quiet or go away. And they may even feel that a way of refilling their battery is to acquire more knowledge. So if they're overwhelmed by the perceived needs of the world or those around them, they might reduce their interaction as this drains them. And they can get lost in their own thoughts and their own ideas and in the need for solitude and privacy. Now you may be thinking, mm, that sounds ever so much like a type four, and that's certainly true that they have some similar characteristics. But remember, it's all about the motivation. The motivation of a type five will be very different from the motivation of a type four. I appreciate also that it could just sound like a regular introvert, but interestingly, a five is not necessarily an introvert. They can look like they are at times, However, they may well be extroverted and seek company to regenerate, but paradoxically, they're aware that there's only so much that they can give before they run out. So they'll want to know what the social expectation is and actually what it involves. So for example, a type five will prefer it if a social interaction has a game or a pursuit or something to center around, 
than just clubbing together and bumbling around. They find that socially draining. So what do fives do in stress? Well, they may retreat further into their thoughts and become more withdrawn. They may struggle with decision-making and they may be perceived as aloof or detached. When feeling secure, they'll open up. You'll find more energy, more engagement with the world around them. They'll share their insights and their ideas more freely. They'll seek connections with others who share their interests. Building their confidence and their self-assurance can help them to navigate those social situations and develop meaningful relationships. The motivation of an investigator is driven by that desire to understand the world and to protect their inner resources. I know I've said it once, <laughs> twice is good. I may come in for a third one. Those are the two things to know about the investigator. They seek knowledge and control over their environments to feel secure. And they often avoid situations that drain their energy or threaten their boundaries. I always like to look at the possible childhood experiences of an Enneagram type, just to gain that extra insight into their habits. And it may be for a five that it was necessary for them to exercise self-sufficiency, independence. Now that could be because of the home setup, um, the encouragement and expectation of parents, or it could be due to a trauma or an experience that required them to exert independence. For example, a five might have had um, a sibling who's on the spectrum or a sibling who had a specific trauma. There might be a reason why they've had to self-soothe in life, you might say. It won't be because you're a rubbish parent. Every Enneagram type has a genesis, a beginning, a childhood story that shaped them for the positive and perhaps set them into survival mode. No matter how we parent, there are messages and behaviours that our children will pick up that will be part of their formation. The important part is to know them, to look beneath the behaviours and see what's driving them, what's driving them positively, what their tipping points are that need a little bit of gentle tempering. So as parents, it's crucial to provide a supportive environment that allows the investigator to explore their interests and their passions, whilst also gently nudging them towards social interactions, broader experiences, and encouraging them to step out of their comfort zones, the places where they think they're not gonna run out, and find that balance between their inner world and their external world. So here are five ways to do this more specifically. Firstly, chat to them about that battery or that tank, or however it feels for them to have something that's going to run out. Talk about how it gets filled up and how it gets emptied. Give them the acknowledgement of their experience and validate it. Let them know that that's normal for them, that's okay. That's how the world looks to them. And also let them know that actually it's not necessarily how the world looks to everybody else. A lot of people don't have that experience. They don't feel like they're going to run out of anything. We're all different. It's often the case that whatever lens you see the world through, you imagine everybody did. As an Enneagram One, I can remember hearing that some people don't have an internal critic or someone on their shoulder supposedly going, well, that was no good. You could have done that better. And I was like, really? I thought everybody had that. So the same with a five. They need to know that not everybody is experiencing a finite tank. 
Paradoxically, help them also to understand that relationships need time and input. You can help them to understand the tools of connection and how disconcerting and disconnected it can be for others when they withdraw. So it's that balance of acknowledging that they feel they have a finite energy source and that there are times to nurture it, but also there are times to power through and be generous with what they have with their thoughts, with contributing their opinions, not just observing others, with sharing things that they've learned, personal information, e.g. sharing about their day, with their energy and sharing their resources, things that they've accrued. It could be Pokemon cards, it could be money, it could be sports equipment. An unhealthy five can be stingy by nature due to their fears, that motivation. And so learning to give and seeing that they survive it is a good habit to nurture appropriately. Number two, help them to plan and think ahead so that they're showing up for others, particularly when they don't feel like it. So for example, if you're going out for the afternoon and you know that they're gonna to have to exert their social battery, perhaps a little bit more than is comfortable for them, make sure they know there's also a plan ahead for a space for them to retreat, to restore. So we might all be going out today, tomorrow morning, we're going to have a chill time so that they know that they can withdraw to their mind. One of their fears can be unpredictability. So that's why letting them know if you're headed for a big day out or a family gathering or a party, that there's a resting place ahead. Number three, give them experiences of successful sharing of their emotions, of their experiences. They find it hard to process in the middle of an experience. They're so busy observing and gathering data. And so they prefer to take it off to their mental cave and chew it over on their own. So if there's been an event, for example, fives don't love drama. So if another person's had a bit of a meltdown, let them know, I saw it. I saw that was big. I imagine that drained you. I'd love to hear about it from your perspective. It must have seemed super huge affirm them that's how it probably felt for them and then give them some words without interrogating them and try to draw out a word or two from them and then validate it so for example in there i've already said it must have seemed super huge they might add to that oh gosh it was very loud and you can say yeah lad's draining isn't it thanks for sharing that it's really helpful for me to know that that's how it felt for you i can only agree and that helps them to be vulnerable and see that that doesn't push you away, that doesn't frighten you. you. You don't have to invalidate that and go, well, it was loud for you, but it wasn't loud for everybody else. It's like, yeah, I see that, I hear that, I accept your feelings. And then they feel seen and they feel significant and they're less likely to withdraw. And it means that they're not taking it off for days on end to their cave. You're actually encouraging them to go, actually share how that felt. We're all good, we can do this. Number four, are we on number four? <laughs> I think we are. Let them know occasionally and gently how you experience them. Fives can seem a lot more serious than they feel. I can remember when um, my child, who's a five, came away from a social situation once and said, oh, that person thinks I'm a nerd. And I thought, a nerd? Gosh, I would not have called you a nerd. But I can see that you go quiet in social situations. They may well have thought that. So actually knowing how they come across can be helpful because they don't always know they're giving off the studious vibe. 
because they're in role, they're observing, they're being present, they're harnessing their resources, they're, they're, they're evaluating how much of themselves they can give out, and they think they've contributed. And ask them if they've had fun, encourage them to reflect on whether other people might have known they were having fun and enjoying themselves. So teach them some verbal and facial cues that give a clue to their mood, that can be part of their generosity. So in Roundup, fives are a bit of an enigma. They're investigators by nature, they can be introspective and analytical, seeking knowledge and understanding. They've got a thirst for learning and they can excel in intellectual pursuits. They can be a pioneer. Give them a niche and you'll find them collecting data. And you also might find they're collectors in general, minimalist in general, and not showing a desire to accumulate things to feather their nests, but where they have a passion, they may well have a collection. Football cards, shells, coins, stamps, books, knowledge. But as I say, they're a paradox because they can also be tender and compassionate with a desire to be more vulnerable, but sometimes without the innate tools to know how to connect. And that can leave them thinking, I'm not good at connection. But actually they probably are, they just need to be shown. We're all wired for connection. But some people need to be shown how to show up how to express themselves, how to express disappointment, share their thoughts and still be utterly loved and valued and to see that love isn't dangerous, exhausting and invalidating. It's about trust. And they'll connect with that because fives are trustworthy. You give a five a secret, they will hold it to their dying day. They don't have this urge to splurge. They want to be more vulnerable than they dare to be at times. They're soft-centred, but they have this wall of protection. So if you can find your way through without interrogation, you'll expand their horizons, you'll expand their self-awareness. And as parents, we can support their growth. We can provide those opportunities for exploration, for garnering knowledge, for widening their brain, but also balance those intellectual pursuits with social interactions and fostering that self-confidence and self-expression. That's your Enneagram 5 for you. I hope you found that useful. I hope you're sitting there thinking, oh yes, yes, so-and-so might be a 5, so-and-so might be a 5, and then the next time you're feeling judged or you're feeling their sense of withdrawing, perhaps you could put on your compassionate hat and think, actually, they might have just run out of battery. Have a great week and I shall see you next time.